Today we're going to be finishing up a series that we started uh, nine, eight weeks ago. This is week number nine, actually. Uh, uh, the series is called Rescued Past, Present, Future. Rescued Past, Present, Future. Uh, today's su- uh, sermon is, is Confidence for the Rescue from Romans 8, 26 to 39. Uh, before we open uh, God's Word and take a look at it together, let's ask for His help to understand it this morning, shall we? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what a joy it is to sing praises to your name, to pray, to give back to you, to celebrate the new births that we have here in this church and the families that are committed to uh, helping these little ones be followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's just a pleasure to be here today. What a joy it is to be in your family, in your house. Not this building, but the people, Father. We're your house, and it's, it's an amazing thing to say, but it's true. And now, Father, we, we, we're going to open the scriptures, and we're asking that uh, whether we're reading this for the first time or for the 1,000th time, we're asking that you'd please open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things out of your law. We believe your word is living and active, and we're asking that uh, it would have its full effect on our hearts and minds through the illumination and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Father. Please, please help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... Like I said, we're finishing up this series. By the way, if you need notes, we've got some notes here. Now, the, the print is a little, little small, and I'll work on getting that uh, a little bit bigger next time. But uh, if you don't have notes and you'd like to follow along, fill in some blanks. There's some questions here on the back as well. I think it could be very helpful to you. If you don't have that, just put your hand up in the air, and our ushers will come around and make sure you get a copy. You can follow along as, as we look through the scriptures together. But where have we been so far in this rescue plan? We've been talking about the fact that that uh, God has given us this rescue plan for the past, the present, and for the future. Oftentimes we think of the gospel as something that, that, that happened in the past, that forgave me in the past, and, and when I die I get to go to heaven. And that's certainly all true, but, but that's such a, uh, a shortened summary of it that it doesn't give us the full picture of what the gospel does for us. And so what have we seen so far about this rescue plan? Well, first of all, we've seen that in the past... Uh, sin has ruined us and ruined us from having a relationship with God. Uh, we saw that in Romans chapter 1 through 3, and Pastor Phil helped us to see that through our rebellion, through our sinful nature, we've rebelled against God and that we're in conflict with Him and we're under His wrath and judgment because of our rebellion and our disobedience against our Creator. And then in Romans 3, 21 to 26, we see that the law and the prophets, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament, testify to one who was coming that would set us free. And that person, the hero, is Jesus Christ. And our hero, Jesus, came onto the scene as a redemption to buy back his people as a substitute, as one who satisfied God's anger on our behalf. And we saw that the hero came on the scene to rescue sinners. Well, we also saw that Romans three through, uh, Romans chapters 3 through 5, that because Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene as our hero, instead of being declared to be sinful in God's sight, when we put our faith and trust in this hero, in a moment, before we ever do anything good or bad, God says, I now declare you to be right in my sight. So we call justification by faith alone. Beautiful, beautiful doctrine. Romans 5 through 6 went on to tell us that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We were sinners. Our hero stepped onto the scene. We put our faith in him. We're justified. And then we're given a new identity. Our, new, our identity is no longer in the old self, the old person with its sinful desires and habits. Now I'm living in new life in Jesus Christ. 
Romans 6, uh, chapter 6 through 8, 13 says that the slavery to sin that we once had is over. We used to be in bondage to sin. Even the good things that I wanted to do came from a sinful perspective, but now I've been set free. And I don't have to do the things that my old sinful man used to want to do. So we've been set free from sin. And finally, last week we saw, as Pastor Larry shared with us, Romans 8, 14 to 25, we saw that this, this rescue plan it secures for us a hope in the future so that no matter what we're suffering today, we know that there is coming a day when we'll be with Jesus and we will be like Him. And so uh, this plan, this rescue plan in the past, present, and future, it brings us to this point now. This point in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, where we want to bring it all together. If, if this rescue plan is good for us in the past, and, and it certainly sets me free in the present, and I know that I have a future, what happens now when I'm struggling? What happens now when I'm suffering? What happens now when I'm under the weight and the burden of the pain and suffering of this world? Today we're going to be looking at the doctrine of assurance. Not insurance, assurance. The doctrine of assurance. In Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines doctrine of assurance this way. It's the certainty or confidence about one's beliefs or actions. Assurance is the certainty or confidence about one's beliefs or actions. And so I want to focus on that word confidence because we don't use the word assurance very often. Certainly not a word that I use too often. But I do use the word confidence, and I, I think that helps me come to grips with it a little bit better. What does it mean that we can be confident in this hero, in this rescue plan that God has given to us here, today, now, in the midst of all the pain and hurt and suffering? I was thinking about this confidence, right? I, I don't know about you, but March is one of my favorite times of year. Yes, I, I love that the flowers are blooming, that the sun is starting to shine, but my favorite sounds are not the birds chirping and the gentle breeze. It's the sound of a basketball hitting a wood floor and it's swishing through a net. I love March Madness. The NCAA basketball tournament. 68 teams go through a single elimination tournament to find out who is the national champion. And it's, it's so, so compelling. But what I love is, is that you get these teams that are the real blue bloods of college basketball. The Dukes, the North Carolinas, the University of Kentuckys. And they come out there with so much swagger, so much tradition, so much talent. They've got fans all through the stands. They've got the bands and they're just ready to go, full of confidence. But then you have the little underdog, like the Murray States of the world and the St. Mary's of the world. This is just down in Moraga, right down the road. And they come out to the court and they just seem like this little David compared to these Goliaths. But what happens is sometimes, every year it always happens, after a few uh, shots start sinking for the underdog, all of a sudden the confidence level starts to rise. And the doubt in the Giants starts to rise as well. And now all of a sudden you see a team that came out with so much swagger. They're not sure what's going on, but you've got this confident little team. And they're sinking shots and they're thinking to themselves, we can really do this thing. And when they do, that Cinderella story is just so amazing. And it's so compelling. That's one of the reasons why I love it. Last night this kid came out for Purdue. Man, he scored 42 points. 42 points is amazing. 10 of 19 from three-point line. He was so confident, so confident. He would just cross half court and launch that three, and it would sink nothing but net. That's confidence. I mean, amazing stuff. And so we're talking about confidence. Confidence. Well, not only do you get to watch basketball, but you also have to watch the commercials, right? 
So there's been some funny commercials by AT&T, and, and their whole slogan recently is that just okay is not okay. Just okay is not okay. Think about it in terms of if you're going to a mechanic. This is one of their commercials. And you're going to the mechanic to get brakes, right? Now, are you good at putting brakes on? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. The mechanic says, just all right. And he goes, yeah, you know, we got a saying that if your brakes don't stop you, something will. <laughs> and the guy that's, you know, going to the shop, he's like, that doesn't sound okay to me. That's not right. Just okay is not okay. If I'm having somebody put my brakes on, I want to know that they can do it right, Yeah. The one that's even funnier is the one the guy is getting ready in a hospital bed. He's getting ready for surgery. And the doctor comes in and they're asking the nurse, hey, is this doctor pretty good? Eh, he's okay. <laughs> right? Right? And he comes in and he's like, hey, man, are you nervous? He's, the doctor's talking to the patient. The patient's like, yeah. And the doctor goes, yeah, me too. Right? <laughs> and like, no confidence whatsoever. That's not what I want. I, I don't want a lack of confidence for the person that's putting my brakes on my car, I don't want a lack of confidence from the person that's going to be cutting me open in surgery, right? I want confidence. Confidence. So we're talking about confidence today. It's a doctrine of assurance. Through God's rescue plan, the gospel, we know that our sins are forgiven. We've covered that. We, we know that we're set free from the slavery to sin. We've covered that too. And that someday we will be with Jesus in glory. But what about today? What about today? Does God just promise me this hope and force me to live in this life and fear and anxiety until that day? Do I have any reason to live confidently in this life if there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, and so much evil opposition? And oftentimes the Christian life is characterized not as a life of, of victory and of confidence, but a life of anxiety, fear, and doubt. If there's no reason to be confident because of this rescue plan, it's just okay. But just okay is not okay. The Christian life is not meant to be just okay. And so we get to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Now I'm going to read verses 14 through uh, 17 because it, it's going to help us see what Paul's speaking of when we get to verse 26. He's talking about the Spirit helping us. And so follow along, if you would, as, as I read aloud. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14 to 17 and then jump down to 26. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. I've heard some Bible scholars and theologians refer to Romans as like, the diamond of the Bible. It's all beautiful, but, but, but Romans is like a be the beautiful diamond, the center gem. And in Romans 8, this passage is like the finest sparkle of that gem at the center of the Bible. This is amazing stuff. Can we have assurance? Can we have confidence today? Well, if you want to take a look at your notes, we're, we're going we're gonna to look out here that because our hero Jesus Christ has rescued us, you can have confidence. There's four ways from these, these passages that we can find that we can have confidence because of our hero, Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the first one. Because our hero, Jesus Christ, has rescued us, you can have confidence that when you're too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. You can have confidence that when you feel too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 again say, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever felt like that before? I, I can't believe the news that I just got. I can't believe that fight I just had. I can't believe that person just said that to me. I can't believe what I'm going through right now. I know I need to pray, but here I am, Lord. I, I don't even know what to say. When we don't know what we ought to pray for, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When you're too weak to pray, the Spirit is interceding for you. Well, we saw that the Spirit, is, He testifies to our spirit. He actually speaks to our spirit that, when, that we're God's children. So when you feel illegitimate, the Spirit comes in and says, Oh no, you're one of mine. You belong to the Father. You are a child. And in that way, so also the Spirit comes alongside us to help us in our weakness. Specifically, when we don't know how to pray. But have you ever felt that way? I, I'm too weak to pray. We were just singing it. I want Jesus to walk with me. But we didn't just sing it. We didn't just say it. We groaned it. Maybe you came in through these doors today feeling like, I'm here, but I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to sing. I don't even know how to pray. 
you're groaning. You're groaning. When you feel that way, the Spirit comes in alongside you and He does something amazing. He intercedes for you. It says He pleads on our behalf through unspoken groans. Verses 22 and 23 speak of the groanings or the deep sighings of, of creation. Creation is under a curse. And so because of that curse, creation is almost sighing and groaning and waiting. When is Jesus going to take away the curse? And so creation is groaning. And we see that in all of the, the natural disasters that happen in this world. It's just nature's way, creation's way of groaning, groaning. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Not just creation, but us too. We groan. We groan. Lord, it's not supposed to feel this way. And he says, I know, I didn't create it this way. This is the result of sin throughout all creation. And so we groan in this fallen, broken world. We groan. And in the midst of that, we await a future glory. Now it says that, that the, the groans of the Spirit, through, through wordless groans in verse 26, the Spirit is interceding through wordless groans. Now, there's debate. Is that the groans of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit groaning out for us? Or is that the Holy Spirit, through our groaning, takes it then and then takes it all the way to the throne room of God? I wish I could tell you I could be dogmatic about one way or the other, but I think both could possibly apply. But, but we do know this. Either way, we can be assured of this. We can be confident that in the midst of our groaning, when we don't know what to pray, when we feel too weak, the Spirit is interceding for us. Now this groaning, it's, it's not the kind of groaning that happens when you ask one of your kids to take out the garbage. By the way, my kids take out the garbage. They do a great job of it most of the time. But sometimes, sometimes there's a grumbling or a, or a complaining that comes along. It's not this kind of groaning, oh, Lord, why are you doing this to me again? Oh, this is terrible. Don't you know that this job, I'm getting so tired of this job, or I'm getting so tired of this marriage, or I'm getting so tired of this cancer, I'm getting so tired of this circumstance. It's not a complaint. It's a groan of faith. It's a groan of faith that says, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. I don't know what to pray, but I'm here and I'm calling out to you. Please help me. And when we groan that way, we can have confidence. We can have assurance that even when we don't know what to say, the Spirit comes alongside of us and He takes that groaning. He takes that small little faith of a mustard seed and He takes that all the way to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And He's interceding for us. You can have faith and confidence today, friends. When you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will take your prayer, your groan of faith, and fill in all the gaps for the words that you don't know what to say. And He'll tell the Father. What a promise. What a promise. I just rediscovered again Psalm 10, 17 to 18. It, it says this, You, Lord... You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. I love that. You, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry. Is there anybody here feeling afflicted today? Is there anybody here today that feels like all I can do is stand here and cry and sigh and groan, but God, I'm here. 
please help me be confident today, friends, that because of our hero, because of this rescue plan, you've got someone that speaks the words that you don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you when you're too weak to pray. Now, some of you here today may feel under the weight of this kind of burden too weak. I'd like to take a moment right now. Let's pray. Let's pray the prayer of faith and confidence, trusting that He will hear you even through your groanings and your sighs. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, there are some here today that all they can do is groan. All they can do is sigh. And before we move on with the rest of this message, Father, we don't want to skip this moment to apply it right now. We call out to you. We're going to stop complaining. We're going to groan out to you and sigh out to you and say, Father, please help. I don't have the words to say. Because of the verses that we just read, your words, Father, we are standing confident knowing that the Holy Spirit right now is interceding for us. We trust that He's filling in the gaps for all the words that we don't know what to say right now. We trust in You. And we believe that You'll hear the Spirit even as we groan. Thank You, Father. Thank You for this rescue plan. Thank You for this confidence that we have. In Jesus' name, Amen. Because our hero, Jesus Christ, has rescued us, we can have confidence first that when we're too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and for me. Secondly, when you don't understand the circumstances of your life, God is working in you toward a good and glorious purpose. When you don't understand the circumstances of your life, God is working in you toward a good and glorious purpose. You ever get to a circumstance in your life and be like, where in the world did that come from? You feel blindsided. You feel sucker punched. You feel like somebody just kicked you in the gut and you weren't even ready for it. You feel confused. What in the world's going on? This wasn't a part of the plan. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. We have Romans 8, 28 to 30. In the midst of the non-understanding, in the midst of the, the, the pending confusion of the circumstances of life, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. In all things, friends. In all things. Now, I, I, I know a little Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but what that means is it's all things. Good and bad. Suffering. Weakness. According to the context, he's not talking about everything's hunky-dory. He's talking about things are hard. And even in the midst of those things, God is actively at work. Now, that doesn't mean that God is saying you should call bad things good. He's not saying that. Cancer's bad. Divorce is bad. Seeing a, a child walk away from church and a walk away from the faith is bad. Conflict, war, disease, famine, suffering, it's bad. But he's not saying you have to call the bad good. What he's saying is this. I'm so sovereign and, and I'm so loving that even as you're suffering, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. In all things, God is working together for good. For those who've been called according to my purpose. No, no. His purpose. Those who've been called according to His purpose. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to 
his purpose. So God, you're telling me that in all this suffering and in all this pain, there's a plan, there's a purpose? How can that be? He goes, trust me. I'm doing something that you can't even see. For those who God foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined. He's given them a destiny ahead of time. And here's the destiny, friends. Here's the final destination for you and me who are in Christ Jesus, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. God, how could there be any good in this suffering? I don't understand it. And sometimes we go forward 10, 15 years and we look back and we go, I still don't see anything good there. God says, I know, but I plan good. I have a good purpose for you. You look more like Jesus today than you did back then. See, we've got to define good the way the Bible defines good. Often we define good of saying, all right, it's got to be that there's going to be even better circumstances for me out of these bad circumstances. These circumstances stink, but I'm going to hold on to Romans 8.28 to say, God's going to give me better circumstances. I lost my job. I'm going to get a new one that pays me twice as much. Don't take it from that verse, friends. What God is saying, he is working together according to his purpose and his good. And his good is that you look like Jesus. His good is that you, that you exhibit his righteousness. Amen. His good is that you learn his patience. His good is that you start to act faithfully like he acts. Friends, you know what this means? This means that there's not one second of your life that is wasted. Not one second of our lives is wasted in all things, in every pain, in every conflict, in every argument, in every disease, in every famine, in every uh, suffering. Not one second of it is wasted. There are hundreds of, of Christians that are being martyred all over the planet, even as we speak. God, where's the good? When is it going to stop? He says, it's awful, and I hate it, and one day I'm going to defeat it all, but I want you to know, church, that in these moments, not one second is wasted. Amen. Not one life is wasted. Not one pain, not one ache is wasted. Joseph understood this. At the end of his, his journey, in Genesis chapter 50, he had some brothers that had betrayed him, that had caused him to suffer, that put him in prison, and, and Joseph was down in Egypt. Right? Joseph with the colored, you know, coat and all that, right? He gets sold down to Egypt, and he's a slave now, right? And all of a sudden, he interprets a dream, and now he becomes second in command to Pharaoh. And he helps deliver his entire family from a famine that was all throughout the land. All throughout the land. His brothers come back, and they're just looking for some food. They had no idea they'd see Joseph. And there's Joseph, and he saves and delivers his whole family. But then... Daddy Jacob's getting ready to die. And he passes away, and they start getting nervous. Do you think he still holds a grudge against us? Do you think, he's still, do you think Joseph's still angry with us? And they try to appeal to him, please don't hurt us. Our father Jacob said not to hurt us. And Joseph says, you got the wrong perspective. You meant evil for me. But in the midst of it, God meant it for good. Joseph's saying, look, yeah. Joseph's saying, look, brothers, look, brothers, you meant evil, but not one second in prison, not one second in my enslavement, not one second of me being separated from you, my brothers, and my father has been wasted. 
God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And that good is that we look like Jesus. Maybe today you feel like, you know what, the, the obstacles of life are just keeping me from the life that Jesus wants for me. Is it ever going to be complete? Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Not one second is wasted. God is doing amazing things in the middle of all your suffering, and he calls it bad, friends. But you know what he also says? I can take something bad, and I can do something great in you. I can make you look like Jesus today. Some of you today came in dragging your feet, beat up by the cares of this world. You feel like all things are beating me up to a pulp, and I can't take it any longer. Is there any reason, any purpose for this? God's saying, oh yeah, there is. I'm not wasting one second of your suffering. I'm working in you so that you look more and more like Jesus every day. When you don't understand the circumstances of your life, God is working in you toward a good and glorious purpose. It says there in verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And glorified isn't just getting to heaven. It's looking like Jesus. It's already a done deal, folks. He's just working out the process in you today. Can you have confidence today that he's not wasting your suffering? Can you have confidence today that the pain has a purpose? Can you have confidence today that you can trust in your God who's rescued you? That all the pain and all the suffering and all things, God is sovereignly working together your good so that you look like Jesus. Will you submit to it today? Well, because of this rescue plan, because our hero Jesus Christ has rescued us, we can have confidence that when you're too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. And when you don't understand the circumstances of your life, God is working in you toward a good and glorious purpose. And thirdly, when you're under attack, God the Father and Jesus Christ are on your side. Amen. When you are under attack, God the Father and Jesus Christ are on your side. Take a look at Romans 8, 31 to 34 again. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Paul, is, he, he's built up this letter to the Romans and he said, have you seen all that you got? This grand rescue plan? All that you have, the Spirit, forgiveness, justification, love, this hero that's been given to you, all this, what are we to say to all these things? It's kind of like the culmination of all of it. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give all things. If he gave up his son, why would he hold anything back from you now? He gave up what was most precious for you. Certainly he's going to give you all the rest. And who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. 
Who then is the one who condemns? No, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's just bringing up these final questions. What's left, friends? What's left? In, in light of all these things, what's left to be answered? Who can stand against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, some of you are here today and you feel like, man, I've got more opposition than I can count. I've got opposition in my home. I've got opposition in the workplace. I feel like the political scene's a mess. I've got opposition out there. I've got opposition on TV. I've got opposition in my car, on the freeway. I've got opposition everywhere. And on top of all that, I've got the accuser of the brethren, Re Revelation 12 says. Satan is described as an accuser. It's almost like he's standing by, he and his demons, and they're just kind of watching and waiting, because they know we're imperfect. And he's just waiting. Matthew's going to blow it one of these days. Oh, uh, there, there it is. Boom, he blew it. There it is. Hey, uh, God, don't you know what Matthew just did? Don't you just know what he just did? Did you hear the words that he said? Did you see how his face turned red out of anger? Did you see it? Did you see it, God? This is what God says. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. But Satan, you're not the judge around here. You don't get to declare who's right and wrong in my sight. I'm the one who justifies. And I have declared because Matthew has put faith in my son. He is righteous in my sight. Satan, kick rocks. When you're under attack, God the Father and Jesus Christ are on your side. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Oh, I'm here. Satan's here. Here he comes. He's ready to condemn. He's coming right to the right hand of the throne of God, or he's coming right up there to Jesus and say, Jesus, no, no, no. You call him a follower of you? You call him your follower? Did you see what he just did? And, and Jesus Christ says, no, 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 no. I died for that. I died for that. You can't accuse him. I died for that. And not only that, I, raised, I was raised from the dead. Yeah, someday he's going to be put in the ground, but because I'm alive, he's going to be alive too. Man. Any charge bred against God's people, God's in the midst of it, and he's declaring righteous. Listen to Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. One of the great songs of the people of Israel. They had enemies all around. This is a psalm of David. It says, Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Confidence. This goes all the way back to King David. If you remember the story of David as a boy, there he goes out to the battlefield with the Philistines, and there he is, and there's this big giant standing in front of him. Oh, come on now. You can't defeat this giant. And what does he say to the giant? You think that you're so strong. You think your size is any match for me. Don't you know who's on my side? I've got the God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, and he's going to slay you, Goliath. 
This is the God that delivered his people out of Egypt through plagues. This is the God who delivered his people as they put blood on the doorpost. This is the God who brought them out of Egypt and then brought them through a Red Sea as he parted the Red Sea for them. This is the God that brought bread from heaven down so that they could eat and water out of a rock in the desert for crying out loud. This is the God that came and brought the people of Israel into the promised land and those walls of Jericho came down. This is the God that came and he said, I'm going to let the sun stand still so that all the enemies could be defeated. If God is for us, who can be against us? But there is an accuser. There is an accuser. There's an accuser, and, and we've got one who's, who's taken care of that. Jesus Christ is on your side. You can be confident. 1 John chapter 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That sounds like an awesome idea. An awesome command. But if anyone does sin, any sinners in the room? Anybody trip up this week? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friend, if you're here today and you feel like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know this strong accusation against me. You don't know the conflict that I face at work, at home, or whatever. We can know that, that we can be confident that when we're under attack, God the Father and Jesus Christ are on our side. Anybody feel under attack today? Do you feel under attack today? Yeah. We can be confident because of our hero, Jesus Christ, and because of this rescue plan that we've been talking about for eight weeks. We can be confident that God the Father and Jesus Christ yes, are on our side. If God is for us, <laughs> who can be against us? Well, we could stop there, but I'm not going to because there's one more point. Because Jesus Christ, our hero, has rescued us, we can have confidence that when we're too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Uh, when you don't understand the circumstances of your life, God is working in you toward a good and glorious purpose. Thirdly, when you're under attack, God the Father and Jesus Christ are on your side. And fourthly, when you feel defeated by the troubles of this world, Christ's love is achieving an overwhelming victory for you. When you feel defeated... Christ's love is achieving an overwhelming victory for you. Now, I'm a grammar nerd. I love modifiers, okay? You, you follow me? Okay? We get a victory, and that's true. But according to this verse, it's an overwhelming victory. 837. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What are those things? He goes on to say uh, up in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, people being killed? You know the disciples of Jesus were killed following him, right? Is that going to separate us from it? Or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's from Psalm 44. This was a psalm that the people of Israel, they'd sing, and there was no resolution to it. They said, God, you're a great God, but we're feeling a lot of pain and a lot of suffering right now. 
We've not done anything wrong. We're trying to live righteously in front of you, but yet we're still feeling pain. Please vindicate us. And it stops. That's it. Where's the vindication? Come on, what, what's going on here? Paul looks back at that and says, the people of Israel were longing for a day that their enemies would be defeated. They're longing for a day of victory. And Paul looks back and says, remember when they wrote this? For, our, for your sake, we're being considered as sheep to be slaughtered all day long. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's more than, what does that mean? What's more than conquerors? How can you more than win? It's the only time that this word is used in all the Bible, more than conquerors. Now we have conquerors, victorious, overcoming, but this word is hyper, over and above, a complete, complete victory to prevail completely over. Friends, in, in layman's terms today for me, I, I would say this, it's a blowout. It's a blowout. Now coming back, I love basketball. I love those buzzer beaters, man, when the two teams are so evenly matched that it takes a last second shot as the buzzer sounds and the ball goes through and it, you know they win the game and it's crazy because the drama's amazing, right? There are no buzzer beaters with Jesus. No buzzer beaters. It's an overwhelming victory. What this is saying, Paul's saying, it's not just a victory. It's an overwhelming victory. You're more than conquerors. You're not just winning at the end of the game. It's such a blowout. Sit the starters at halftime. It's over. It is a blowout, friends. A blowout. A blowout. It's a blowout. John 16, 33, Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last few hours with them. And they're, they're nervous because he keeps talking like he's going away. And why, what's he talking about? Why is he going away? Where is he going? Why is he going to the Father? What, what's all this mean? We don't want you to leave, Lord. There's so much more that we want you to do. And they're, they're wringing their hands. And they know that the opposition's coming and that the evil one's coming and going to tempt them. And, and this is what he says, John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> but take heart. Be confident. Have assurance. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. It's an overwhelming victory, friends. It's a blowout. Romans 8, 38 says, I, I, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons... Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers. I mean, Paul's just trying to think, what, what, what can I think of that, that may be against you, that, that you feel defeated by today? He's going through the list. And, and you can think of 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. Listen to this, friends. Speaking of death and the resurrection. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true. You can hear Paul. You can almost hear this. He's mocking. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Ha! Where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am convinced... I am confident that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future. How many of you nervous about the future? How many of you pay those bills? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen in this, in this country? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen in retirement? What's going to happen? Neither the present, nor the future, nor in any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation. He just eliminated it all. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a blowout. It's a blowout. One final verse. One final verse. Revelation 12. I didn't read this in the first verse, but it's, it's too good. Revelation 12, 10 through 11. Speaking of this old foe, that serpent that's been against us ever since Genesis 3. That old serpent, that old, old foe keeps tripping us up. He's ruining things. Verse 9 of Revelation 12. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole earth astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Listen to this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. His time is short, friends, because it's a blowout. Jesus has won the victory. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we live this out? How do we live this out? I mean, we, we've looked at this rescue plan, and it's, it's overwhelming. And we see that because of that, we can live with great confidence. Because God's rescue plan through His Son, Jesus Christ, forgives our past, frees us in the presence, and assures us of hope in the future, we can live with confidence. Huge confidence that the Spirit intercedes for us. That we can make sense and have purpose a good and glorious purpose in our suffering. That we can uh, know that God the Father and Jesus Christ are on our side and that through Christ's love, we have an overwhelming victory. We have huge confidence about every aspect of our lives. I want to ask you, as you face the challenges of your life, how does God's rescue plan change your outlook about your circumstances? God, God's not, it's, not, it's not good enough just to leave. Remember, okay, just okay is not okay. Are you living just an okay Christian life? But, or can you live a, a confident Christian life in what Jesus Christ has done for us? What, what trial are you facing today that's tempting you to live in fear rather than in the confidence that God has purposed for you? Maybe all you could do is give out a groan today, but you can have confidence that will heal you and the Spirit will intercede for you. We can have confidence to, to not only just live this life, but risk our lives because of the victory that's won in Jesus Christ, what risk do you believe God is asking you today to take in obedience to Him? I love, I love uh, what Nate Saint and Jim Elliot, what Jim Elliot writes. Elliot writes in her, uh, her biography of her husband, Gates of Splendor. Jim Elliot says this, one of my favorite quotes. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can confidently give it all and risk it all. 
because of the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us? How is God asking us to risk our lives today for his cause, confidently knowing that the victory is won? And think about us as a church. We're in a year of transition, so much going on, and I invite you to come out tonight to hear what that plan is, but sometimes we may feel tempted, well, what's going to happen in all this transition? Pastor Phil, the same Jesus that brought you to Valley Bible Church is going to be here after the transition. Amen? And as a church, it's our challenge to say, are we going to live in fear and anxiety, or are we going to live confidently in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Finally, if you've never trusted in the hero, Jesus Christ, to rescue you, what's holding you back from calling upon him today? You, you can be on the winning side when you just call out to this hero. Today, we invite you to do that. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, this is an overwhelming victory. It's a blowout. We already know the outcome. But Father, there's so many things, so many struggles in this world that tempt us to live without the kind of confidence that, that you told us that we could live with. Not because we're anything great. There's really nothing special about me or anybody in this room. The, the thing that's most special is that we've got the hero on our side. And so Father, I, I, I ask, please help every single one of us here that calls ourselves a follower of Jesus to lay our cares and burdens at your feet and to groan out to you, to trust that the Spirit is interceding for us, to trust that you've got a good and glorious purpose for our trials and our sufferings, that you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, are on our side and that he has won an overwhelming victory because of his love. Let, let us go and, and live out that confidence today, Father. Confidence in our lives, confidence in our relationships, and confidence with those who need to hear this message. Oh, Father, is there a missionary here today that needs to get launched out and risk it all for the sake of Jesus Christ? That person's not a fool. <laughs> Father, who here today is, is being called upon to say, hey, I need to step up my availability to Jesus and risk it all because I can live confidently in Him. Please purify us, purify me, and help us to see the great glorious confidence, the overwhelming blowout victory that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.